This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. President Trump wants to make sweeping changes to environmental policy. He had proposed changes to the NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, which prevents infrastructure uh, projects from moving forward without an assessment of the impact of a project on the environment. This covers all kinds of projects, roads, bridges, pipelines, etc. Trump wants to speed up the, quote-unquote, as he says, outrageously slow and burdensome federal appeal process, end quote. Environmental groups are already talking about legal challenges to such a move. Michael Vandenberg is a visiting professor here at the Wharton School. He's also a law professor and director of the Climate Change Research Network at Vanderbilt University. He was also former chief of staff at the EPA between 1993 and 1995. Great to meet you. Welcome back to Philadelphia. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to be back in town. Thank you. Okay, so give us an overview uh, of what the president said yesterday and, and what he is looking to try and do. Okay, it's worth starting with what NEPA is, what the National Environmental Policy Act is. It essentially requires an environmental assessment, as you mentioned, of major federal projects. And the the, the purported idea behind uh, what the administration is doing is to accelerate the timing of the approval of these projects, because they often take many years. And yep. I think not many people would argue that we shouldn't try to accelerate the process of this occurring. The question is, is that really what's going on here? Or is the, the, the change in the regulation here actually going to slow down the process? And we could talk about that. Or is it simply trying to exclude, put blinders on some of the most important environmental effects, particularly climate effects of major federal projects? Right. When you think about the building of a roadway or the building of a bridge or obviously a pipeline, as we saw in North Dakota and South Dakota uh, a couple of years ago, you're talking about a significant, potentially, a significant economic or I should say environmental impact on that particular area when you bring a pipeline with crude oil running through, uh, and in that case, it was an Indian reservation. Right, and, and I think a good way to do this in a, in a business program is to analogize this to what would happen, let's assume you're a, a business manager and you're running the M&A deal for an acquisition, you've got 10 uh, facilities in this target, and each one of those facilities has a little uh, problem associated with it. Any one of them, the problem is not a big deal. When you put them all together, now you've got a big problem, the company's going to lose major amounts of money. And what this rule tries to do is to is to pull uh, the study of environmental projects out of their context and not require agencies to look at their cumulative effects. So, for example, with that pipeline you mentioned, the effects of that one pipeline for global emissions would be pretty small. Right. But you aggregate all the pipelines together, now you have a real problem. And what this rule would allow agencies to do is to simply isolate the climate effects of that pipeline and then say that we don't need to consider them because in isolation they're not that important. You right. would never buy a company if all 10 facilities, when aggregated together, would produce a major problem. So why would you make federal decisions looking at projects in isolation like this? You would do it if you don't want to think about the climate effects of these projects. But as you said, in a lot of cases, when you're talking about X project, it does take several years to kind of get a full scope on what all may be in, uh, involved in uh, the impact on the environment. That's right. You, you, you can't uh, do these right away. But I think the, the parts of the rule that make the most sense are the ones that say, look, we should have a presumptive standard that we have a two-year review on environmental impact statements and a year review on environmental assessments. The problem is, even if that's your goal, 
doing it with these dramatic changes is probably not going to achieve that goal because the regulations that are in place today, these are just proposed regulations. The ones that are in place today are largely the product of federal court decisions interpreting the statutes. And so what's going to happen is immediately there will be litigation when this rule is finalized, and that will take time. Federal agencies each have their own regulations too, and that will take time for them to make changes. And then these rules will allow agencies to uh, undervalue environmental issues, not study environmental issues in a range of different projects, then after all that process is done, then courts may come in and say, well, that's fine. You may be consistent with the regs, but we get to interpret the statute, and the statute is inconsistent with the regs. And so you may have to go all the way back again <laughs> and redo the studies. So I think the goal of accelerating this process is fine. The question is, do these radical changes really get us to a more rapid and yet still evaluating environmental impacts uh, process? Right. And I think as you laid it out, I think that's one of the more interesting pieces of this is that the idea that President Trump brought forward yesterday, it's going to take a significant amount of time, even if it is approved on all of those different levels, to go down the, to go down the path. In the political climate that we're in right now, we could be looking at a very different set of circumstances, either in a year or four years, when we actually may get to the point where a change in this type of policy may actually come to fruition. That's right. On the pathway we're on now, you would take 60 days to take comments, you know, probably several months to, to, to accept those comments, maybe make some changes, then produce the rule. It doesn't become final until very late this year at the earliest, and then the litigation process starts. Yeah. So you're well beyond that. I think the other piece of this that is particularly important for your business audience is that this is inconsistent where most of where the private sector is going. Sure. Right. More than half of the S&P 500 have committed to some kind of climate targets. Over 100 uh, companies have committed to 100% renewable power. You just go on and on and on. Major banks have their own NEPA-like process. It's called the Equator Principles, where they require environmental assessments. And NEPA has been the model for many state uh, assessments and around the world, too. So, so the effort to try to narrow the scope here is inconsistent where a lot of business is going, other countries are going, and states are going. And it's part of what we've talked about on a variety of sectors is that there are many instances, this being one of them, where business is not waiting for government to kind of make the change. or They're going to do it on their own because they understand where eventually the future is going to be, maybe not in the short term in the next year to five years, but in the next 20 years. That's right. I think there's a good argument right now that, that, that because businesses can't gerrymander their own markets, they are responding to long-term threats in ways that government is not. Yeah. You think about Walmart. Walmart's committed to what's called Project Gigaton, a billion tons of carbon emissions reductions by 2030. That's like Germany or Japan for an entire year going carbon neutral. And they're going to get that from their supply chain. So they're doing that for corporate reputation, employee morale, yeah. investor pressure pressure, lender pressure issues, but they're not doing it so much because of government pressure. They're ahead of the curve. And and that is, I guess, what we should expect to see then moving forward, is you're going to see more of an influence by the consumer or by the stockholder in these companies to make these changes moving forward, because that's kind of the groundswell that we're seeing right now. That's where the pressure is going. And what's fascinating is you're seeing more and more environmental advocacy groups beginning to realize that their greatest opportunity is to go sit down with the investors, with BlackRock or with private equity firms, which are also beginning to get more and more interested in environmental issues. And so a lot of the movement is going on there. I think it takes a big conceptual leap for many people involved in the process of policymaking. Right. And I think the perception on this is, and again, as you said, it's one thing to want to speed up the process because, as 
many of us know, in many cases, the, the process of government is slow in, in general. It's finding that right amount of time, that right window, so that you're obviously giving the business or the construction company, whatever it is, the better time frame, but you're also making sure that you are aware of the environmental side as well. Absolutely. Again, if you're running a business, you would not ignore long-term effects just because you want to speed up the environmental assessment process in a due diligence in a transaction or something like that. We shouldn't do that as a country either. We should be thinking about all of the effects. And I think, again, you see the private sector when government is not involved doing this already. So as for NEPA itself, this is uh, an act that's been around for, what, about 40 or 50 years? It was adopted in 1970. We were were building roads through public parks and things like that. And and the the public said, no, we don't want that anymore. Richard Richard Nixon signed it into law on national TV in 1970. But it has not been changed or or really adapted since then. So I guess the question is, is does this act need a a fresh set of eyes and looking at what changes possibly may need to be may need to occur? It, it it could be updated. I think administrations in the past have thought about it, have tried to do so, but it's very difficult to do. We haven't had a major new pollution control statute in the United States since 1990. We have gridlock going on there, and so yeah. the challenge is that essentially what this is doing is by rulemaking trying to effectively amend the statute. And our democratic process requires the House and the Senate and the President if we're going to get legislation. Yeah. This is just a unilateral act by the executive branch. So anything done through this rule has to be consistent with the existing statute. Should we potentially update NEPA over time? Yeah, I think we probably should. If we're going to do that, though, we have to have a consensus on the fact that we need to do things more quickly, but we also have to understand all the environmental effects. And you can't sacrifice the one for the other. Right. And we're also in a time right now with kind of the dysfunction that we see in in Washington at this point, and also how, you know, the 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 public in general, many of them are feeling towards President Trump that legal challenges on this are are they're very easy to expect to come forward as soon as they possibly can. Oh, that's absolutely true. And I think that uh, what you've seen is a real history. There was an NYU law uh, data study recently that suggested that 70 times the Trump administration has been sued on deregulatory matters, and it's won only four of those cases, right? And so, again, I think there are elements of this that could be done in ways that are consistent with the statute, that courts would conclude are consistent with the statute. But when you get as aggressive as this is, you put the entire process into play, and you likely slow the whole process down because you're not just trying to speed the process up, you're trying to exclude consideration of certain kinds of issues, and the statute was designed to force us not to pick environmental issues, but to know what the implications are, to not be willfully blind. Is it a concern that, that to a degree, there seems like right now at times there is an element of not taking these issues into account when you're trying to to bring forth some of these issues. Oh, absolutely. And again, what's fascinating to me is that the private sector is ahead of the curve on this. If I'm going to build a project finance project in a country that doesn't even have a NEPA, but I go to one of the many banks that have adopted the equator principles, I actually have to study the environmental effects, including the climate effects. So now it might be possible for me to do the same kind of project here in the United States under the federal statute and not have to study what I'd have to study under a private standard adopted by banks. Michael Vandenberg, who's a visiting professor here at Wharton School, joining us. He is also at uh, Vanderbilt University, where he's a law professor and also director of the Climate Change Research Network. What is your expectation? I mean, obviously, from a time perspective, we're talking about a, a long stretch that we're looking at here. But is there enough momentum 
to be able to want to kind of get to the necessary changes that may need to occur moving forward with this. I think one of the challenges here is that when we get into these hyperpartisan gridlock situations, it's very difficult to actually make real change. I think we'll see this rule probably minor amendments to it, finalized later this year, at least a year of litigation after that, and then litigation over all the projects uh, that will be approved under this rule. And so I think the challenge here is that this rule will make its way slowly through the administrative process, and then the election will have a huge effect on whether it goes into effect. Michael, great having you here with us. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Michael Vandenberg, visiting professor here at the Wharton School. He is also a law professor and director of the Climate Change Research Network at Vanderbilt University. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.